How do you feel about invitations? Right, when, you're, when you're little, they're like almost always good news. You know, you get to go to a different house, you get to play with different toys. Like, I grew up in a Lego house. My best friend was a Playmobil house. I don't know if any of you guys remember Playmobiles. So I'm like, I was always, always excited to go to his house get to play with Playmobiles, right? Different food, you, somebody else is making food. Somebody's birthday party, you're going to get cake, there's going to be games, an Easter egg hunt, right? Invitations come, and they bring excitement. They bring anticipation, hope of what might happen, what fun might be had. You're counting down the days to that party, to that sleepover. It's just like pure receiving, Right? You didn't have to make the snacks. You don't have to pay for the birthday present that you're taking to the party. You just went and you received and you had a good time. But we know that as you grow, invitations become more complicated. I remember the first time I, I kind of became aware of this was like third grade, a neighborhood kid befriended me. And um, he was like at the same time somehow uh, like a bully and really insecure, and like, he would ask me every, every day we would play, like, are we best friends yet? Um, but then, like, I would bike to his house, and, like, coming around the corner, he would always lay and wait for me and, like, shoot me with a pellet gun or, like, a, a goop gun or whatever. Like, I didn't know with this guy, and, and it reached the point, like, somewhere around then, we got caller ID, um, and the phone number would ring after school, and I would see that number, and I would just kind of be hit with this dread. Like, oh, that invitation's coming. And my response to it was, was anxiety. Maybe that's kind of familiar to, do, to you now. Like, maybe you get an invitation now, and your mind, like, it immediately goes, um, like, stress. You think about, like, Who's going to watch the kids? If we're going to bring the kids, like, who's going to entertain them? Um, what are we going to bring? What are people going to think about what we bring? What are we going to talk about? Does this mean I have to invite them back? Does that mean I'm going to have to clean my house? Maybe you even start kind of thinking, all right, what, what's my exit plan here? What am I going to say? How am I going to leave? It seems like as you grow up, Invitations, they, they kind of become this to-do. They become a big to-do. But think about how backwards that is, right? Like, invitations are no longer this thing that you receive and accept, and they become this thing that's a to-do. Jesus tells this parable that we read here, um, in, in some ways to sort of rescue this idea of invitation in the kingdom of God. And he does this by trying to show us what God is like as he hands out invitations. So we're, we're going to look at this parable in three parts. We're going to look at um, the banquet, the excuses, and then the host. So let's, let's first look at the banquet. Now, um, the interesting thing about this parable is that Jesus is telling a parable about a banquet while at a dinner or a banquet of some sort. So that's like 
a little nerve-wracking for the host, right? Um, he's dining at the at the house of the ruler of a ruler of the Pharisees. Like this is this is the big wig, um, and and Jesus is watching the social dynamics at play here, and he sees some some common themes. People are being selfish, right? Uh, guests are jockeying for position. They want to sit close to the host. They want to be seen and known as as in with the big wig. But Jesus also notices that, that hosts are selfish. Right? Their, their guest lists, they look like a, like a who's, who's, who's who in Albuquerque um, list, right? They're, they're inviting people to secure favors down the road that are, that are going to look good in the paparazzi photos, that are going to bring them business maybe down the road. Everyone here Hosts, guests, everyone here is, is a mogul just trying to build their personal brand, trying to advance themselves. And, and Jesus is watching this among religious leadership. And he says, this is not how hospitality in the kingdom of God is supposed to work. Like you're your invite list should look like you scraped the bottom of the barrel of society, he says. Now, let's, let's try to imagine this here. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the limits of my knowledge of Albuquerque and its politics and, and political figures here with this illustration, but bear with me. Um, okay, Mayor Timothy Keller, right, um, he has a dinner party, and um, he rents out that restaurant on the top of... Uh, the mountain up there, 10-3 or 10-4 or whatever. Um, and so who does he invite, right? Um, he invites, like, some of, the, some of the top dogs at Sandia Labs. I don't know who they are. Um, he invites, like, some, some high-ranking officers at Kirtland. Um, he invites, like, the president of UNM and some board members, um, maybe a few local tribal commissioners, uh, he gets some Intel execs to fly in, and like somehow he got the head of Netflix to come in. Everyone's scratching their head at how that happened. Um, and then there's this young upstart pastor uh, here. Uh, you know, nobody from out of town even knows who he is. And and the time they're like, they're like doing toasts, and uh, the pastor kind of like sidles up to the mayor here, the host, and he says this publicly in front of all these people. He says. Hey, all right, let me tell you something. Uh, next time you throw a banquet like this, don't invite all these big kahuna people who can, like, fund your next campaign or, like, help you out with whatever you're trying to do in the city. Um, he says, no, take a bus, go down, like, Central Street or wherever, find people, like, sitting on the side of the road, fill up the bus and bring them up to the banquet. That's what your next banquet should look like. Like, the awkwardness in that room after uh, the audacity of saying something like that to your host. Like, that's uncomfortable. <laughs> and, and eventually, it, it becomes that unbearable. Somebody, somebody there pipes up and it's like, ah, everybody raise a glass. They just want to break the tension. And that's basically what happens here. 
after Jesus says this. But like usual, Jesus won't let the room off the hook. He never does, it seems like. Right, we, we've seen, we've been looking at parables over the last several weeks. And, and a lot of times, Jesus is using these parables to, to cast a vision, often a corrective vision, uh, in order to paint a clear and truer picture of who God is and how the economy of his kingdom works. And some listening, you know, they'll, they'll hear this parable, they'll understand what Jesus is saying, and they will absolutely love it. Like they will be thrilled with this picture. But others hear, and they don't understand, or they don't like it. And what we often see is that uh, the people who touted their religious understanding their understanding of God and his law the most. It turns out that these people really didn't know God that well at all, and they, they didn't know the heart of his law at all. And so these guests are here at this banquet, and Jesus says, let me paint you a picture of what God is like and let me do it through the lens of a banquet. If God was a host, what would he be like? Now, the parable begins, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. So right off the bat, we're introduced to this, um, a man of magnanimity, right? He is, he's a man of means, but he's also generous with his means. He invites and he seeks to bless. The premise is generous invitation. Now, interestingly, to those hearing this parable, that should not have been new information. This isn't a new picture of God. The Old Testament is, is replete with pictures of God as a generous host. It's, it's, it's not an overstatement to say that like this picture undergirds the entire Old Testament. We look at creation, Genesis 1. Verse 28, 29, we read, And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And in 29, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. From the beginning, God has built the house. He's placed the furniture. He set the table. He's prepared the food. He's invited the people in. And he says, come, live it up. Like in the purest pre-fall way, live it up. Live to the full. And of course we know the fall came because Adam and Eve didn't trust their host. They thought he was holding out. So we fast forward to the book of Exodus later in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, God tells Moses his plan for Israel is to bring them into a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey. He says they'll go into a land with, with cities they didn't build, cisterns they didn't dig, houses full of things they didn't make, olive trees they didn't plant, and they will eat and be full. He's hosting them 
into a land. He's setting the table for them. At Mount Sinai, this covenant between Israel and God is sealed, it's ratified. How do you think that happens? How do you think God chooses to do that? We look in Exodus 24. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, that is, they went up onto Mount Sinai, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God, and they ate, and they drank. They feast together. The inception of Israel as a nation is sealed with a banquet hosted by God. And you may know that the rest, most of the rest of the Old Testament is the story of Israel rejecting their host, rejecting that banquet. And this brings us to the second part of the parable, the excuses. So the host, right, he's a kind host, he's a good host. We read he sends out initial invitations well in advance. He gives them notice. He allows them to plan accordingly. But when the time for the banquet comes, each person, they've got a reason in their back pocket why they can't come. They're flaky. We won't, we won't spend too much time with each of these but each reason kind of ups the ante a little bit. Like the first one says, he's bought a field and he needs to go out and see it. All right, um, I don't have a, an agriculture background. And I, I know a field is, is, is no small financial investment. Um, so we can, we can grant a bit of prudence to this guy for wanting to go and check out his investment but I, if, if we really like look at the full picture, you know, he had ample notice ahead of time to make arrangements, and um, it's a field. It's not going to go anywhere. There are there are very few scenarios in which it would have been a matter so pressing that he couldn't delay going to see the field one evening for a banquet. And the second guess is pretty similar, right? His, his excuse maybe feels a little bit more legitimate. Live oxen, that's a little more pressing. Um, so I'm imagining that most of us here are familiar with that feeling of getting an invitation that we're not sure about or maybe we're, we're not thrilled about. And we don't have an out, like, on hand. And so we're like, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. And then the time rolls around and something pops up. And like, we do this sort of quick math in our head and we're like, you know, I think that's probably a good enough reason to, to back out. But, but the readiness with which we, we take that out, it shows the reality that we've really been looking for the out the whole time. And, and we do this all the time, like if we're applying this, pair, like we do this all the time in the church, right? We, we wear this outward resolve that looks like the desire to go and dine with God at the banquet. 
we pay lip service, we lay out intentions, and maybe we even convince ourselves. But then when, when some kind of temptation comes along, like we bail so readily that it almost seems like maybe we were looking for the out the entire time. We're flaky. Now, what about this last guest? Uh, I'll admit, I had a harder time with this one, um, and I wonder if, if Jesus didn't intend for this to be a tougher one to think through, right? Of, of all the guests listed here, um, this guy seems like he has the most legitimate excuse to, to recuse himself. Um, you, may, you may know this, according to Old Testament law, a man who had just married... Uh, he, he was not liable to go out with the army for battle or liable to any public service, any public duty for an entire year so that he could be happy at home with his new bride. I kind of wish that was still uh, something we did today. Um, so here's a guy who like, maybe has a reason to stay at home that makes him look pretty pious. You know, people might have said, like, oh, man, that guy really loves his wife. Ah, look at him. He's, he's, he's prioritizing. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I might be the only one here who has is, who is backed out of something and, and used an excuse that I knew would look pretty good. Maybe it would be pretty hard to push back on. Maybe uh, some guy's been trying to hang out with me, and I've been kind of dodging him for a while. I finally agree to meet, and then the last minute I'm like, oh, man, hey, I can't go. Uh, Noemi wants to go to Target. I told, her I'd, I told her I'd go to Target with her. Um, and, like, on the surface it looks like, oh, yeah, look, you know, look at him putting his wife's needs before his own. But the reality is that's really just saying that I'd rather, like, stand around and Target, kind of bored, um, than hang out with this dude. Right? The, the, the point is that all three of these guys, they, they had their notice, they had the, the invitation well in advance, and they didn't plan. And when push came to shove, they flaked. And what, what, is, what is seen here, none of them actually wanted to go to the banquet. Now, maybe there's a few reasons for this. Uh, borrowed Justin's vernacular. Maybe they thought the host wasn't a good hang. Um, maybe they knew they would go and like receive all this good food, all this super nice hospitality, and they were afraid they'd have to return the favor. They didn't want to be in the host's uh, debt. Maybe they just got so caught up in their business life, like the, the, the menial of each day, this field, these oxen, like... Nothing could supersede the importance of these things right now, these decisions, these matters. And so they don't go. They don't accept the invitation. They, they, they turn away. And the host, he hears these excuses, and he sees that they don't want to come. One by one. He feels each of these spurnings one by one. And how, how does he respond? 
So we're going to look now at the host. Okay. The master of the house hears this news and he gets angry. Okay. Why is he angry? Now, to understand why he's angry, we have to look at what he does next. So he says to his servant next, he says, like, waste no time. Go quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city. Bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Get people in here. And the house still isn't filled. So he sends the servant further out into darker corners, more sketchy places, and he says, get them all in here. Like, can you feel what is animating this host? Can you feel that he is animated? He is driven. You can hear him kind of like pacing around the house, like, come on, like, I've hired chefs with Michelin stars. I've, I've flown in ingredients from all over the world. I have, I have drink from the most prestigious and sought-after vineyards and distilleries. I have, I have hosts of servants, like, waiting, ready to come and wait on every single need of the guests here. Like, I have Yo-Yo Ma here. He's going to play Bach. I am not going to have empty seats in my house. I will not have an ounce of all this goodness and glory go untasted. And so he brings in the crippled and the poor and the blind and the lame. Remember, the the prevailing religious notions of the day were that people were this way. People were poor, crippled, blind, lame because of some sin either of theirs or their families, their parents. So the the people, the elite, hearing this parable, they would have been shocked. Like, okay, this guy is clearly loaded, right? This host is clearly loaded, but where are his scruples? Where are his standards about who he dines with? I mean, we, we try not to think about this, but if we're honest, we're, if we're imagining um, watching this scene of this banquet with these guests, we're watching these gourmet meals being eaten in haste, not savored. We're watching sauces that were made from aged ingredients just being thrown out, not used, or you know things are being dipped that shouldn't be dipped. Watching people spill wine from a bottle that like I couldn't buy with my monthly paycheck, and it's staining furniture, and like people hear the cello and they're like, ah, man, I wish, you know, they could have gotten like an Eagles cover band or something like that. Right? This feels wasteful. This scene feels wasteful. And every person at that table with Jesus would have felt the same way. Like, those people are getting this? You can't bring these people into your house. They're they're not going to appreciate it properly. They're going to be rough company. They're going to ruin your reputation. They're never going to be able to do anything that resembles paying you back, returning the favor. But the ways of this host are not like our ways. God is a prodigal host. He is not looking for repayment. He's not calculating expenditures to see if the venture is worth it. 
Like, look, look at this man, this master of the house. Like, what is driving him? What is animating him? Like, you, you can't read the parable and not feel the, the zeal burning in him for something to happen here. He's sending his servant out around like crazy all over town, outside of town on these errands. Like, what does the host want? What does God want? What is he after? What is compelling him? What is compelling him? I hope I paused long enough there so that your gut answered that question in your head. Because your, your answer to that question, my answer to that question, what is moving God? What is God up to? That will be the most profoundly shaping paradigm in your life. You're filtering everything in your life through that lens. What is God up to? So we look at this host, and we ask again, what is compelling God? He wants his house full, and he wants his goodness tasted. He wants his house full, and he wants his goodness tasted. So much does he desire this that he sends his servant to fetch whoever from wherever. And the proof of this, um, friends, this morning is Jesus. Like he, he came, and when he came, he made a beeline to the bottom of the barrel. He came to seek and to save the lost. We can get caught up with this, this parable in, in the who goes, who doesn't go, what happens, why they don't go. But like the core of this parable is a host, is a God who wants his house full and he wants his goodness to be tasted. And that is your invitation this morning. He wants you as his guest. He wants to shower you with his goodness. And the invitation is open. Let's pray. Oh, Father, help us believe. It's, it's hard to believe that you could be really this good. As we continue to sing, as we continue in worship, as we come later to the table, let us see all the signs of your goodness, uh, most of all in your son Jesus. The proof that you want us with you, you want us dining with you. Holy Spirit, help us believe. In Jesus' name, amen.